Bring it in. Read option back here. Masters weekend has come and gone. There's a new champ. It was also opening day in Major League Baseball. The NBA regular season wrapped up. And uh, we're heading towards kind of the meat. We, I guess we moved past some of the meat and potatoes of spring sports, right? We had March Madness. Now the Masters is over. But we're starting to take that swing. We're going to have PJ Championship coming up in a couple months. Uh, with NBA playoffs kicking off this week in the playing game. So we'll get to all of that, as well as some news and notes from the NBA. And obviously opening date was big. Uh, Vito, our man, is sick as a dog right now. Everyone pray up for Vito to feel better. Uh, believe it's just food poisoning. Nothing like super scary. Not COVID, luckily. So thankful for that. But uh, our man's hurting today. So me and Scotty are holding down the fort as we're getting ready for uh, to, to talk a bunch of different stuff. So, Scotty. You're up in New York this weekend. How are you, friend? How, how are yeah, you feeling? I'm good. Shoulders hurting. Uh, another round of golf in the cold weather, which I hope is finally gone. Uh, and with it, the uh, the two main uh, events of the spring season on the sporting calendar. It's the highest of the highs. And now we've hit the uh, the bottom of the roller coaster, at least for the time being, until the NFL draft. So I don't even know if it's uh, the bottom as much as it's like you know how roller coasters have that that like spot where it kind of just stays even for a little bit, yeah, and then you go yeah. up the next hill. I feel like we're there, right? Like it needs yeah, to gain but that, that momentum with again. The, with the final four and then the Masters. I mean, oh, I mean, it's arguably that's one a of peak. the best. <laughs> I mean, the week started on Monday night with a national championship, and then the week ended with Sunday at the masters it's yeah. as good it's as good of a week in sports as we have so uh, tons of great stuff uh congratulations to Scotty Scheffler unbelievable performance by him and all around just great masters and we'll get into some of that um but I do want to touch on here before we get into all the other stuff um from the weekend I want to acknowledge the uh the tragic news um, coming out of Florida that came out on Saturday. Dwayne Haskins passed away. Uh, he was 24 years old, struck by uh, a truck on the side of the highway. Uh, obviously, there's been a lot There's been a lot to do and a lot to say, and, and a lot of people have shared their thoughts. Um, it all kind of started when the news broke, and Schefter, uh, very poorly tweeted announcement there from a guy who, uh, this isn't the first time Schefter's done something like that. Uh, we also heard comments from... Uh, from Gil Brandt, who is a Hall of Famer and a uh, radio host for Sirius XM on the NFL radio side. Uh, the day quickly went from being this is horrible, tragic news, and obviously the thoughts and prayers and, and, and everybody's thinking about him and his wife and his kid and his family at this moment. Um, to lose anybody that young is just devastating and mm -hmm. heartbreaking, and it shouldn't be anything other than that, other than sharing that. And, and weirdly, the day kind of got hijacked um, and became about Adam Schefter and, and Gil Brandt and all this other stuff. And, and, you know, a lot of pro athletes are speaking out about it saying, you know, we got to stop, you know, like somebody lost their life here. You know, this isn't, it doesn't matter that Dwayne Haskins failed to catch on in the NFL or, or really yeah. struggled. Like it, none of that matters. We're talking about a 24 year old man who by all accounts, you know, had this, unbelievable personality lit up every room he walked into and was tragically and, and far too suddenly taken away from us. So um, yeah. I don't think we would need to dive into too much there. Um, Scotty, I know I want to give you a chance to kind of talk on it too. Obviously it's just heartbreaking. Yeah. It's, it's it, devastating. It um, but I, I just think we need to remember to like, 
and it's a good reminder for everybody in this profession. Like we make jokes all the time, like, oh, it's just sports. It's just sports. It is just sports. Like we do recognize that when we do this, we spend time, we get heated and upset and get into arguments and debates about sports because it's fun. It's not real life. It's not anything like this. And, and I think um, everybody who works in this industry or is a fan of this industry, you know, it doesn't matter if it's like, a, oh, even as an Eagles fan or even as a as a Warriors fan, you know, that none, a Penn State guy who watched yeah. him beat uh, Ohio State beat him on a field. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's no nothing about that. that, man. No, yeah. it's it's just it's just a human being who who was tragically taken from us far too uh, far too young. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I think one of the, the bigger problems about some of the, the wording and, and timing of, of these tweets and even comments within the tweets that are wholly unnecessary um, is sort of the, the disposable nature of the, uh, the professional athlete, particularly in the NFL um, where they're just throwing bodies out there. And if those guys fail, then you get more bodies and and throw them to the wolves. So um, I think that's, that's a huge part of, of how the narrative is constructed when something like this happens or something else terrible uh, happens. And and, uh, that's a shame on the, uh, on the, on the media and the people who, who write that narrative in the first place. So, um, yeah, just, uh, just a, a terrible, terrible. Th- I can't even imagine, you know, uh, you know, even as, as teammates of his, what, what they're thinking, uh, as, as they go through a, a tragedy, uh, at, at that level as well, you know, I mean, they, they spend more time with, uh, with him than most other people in his life, I would think. So, um, I mean, that's gotta, that's gotta be horrible and, and heart wrenching for teammates and, and family and, and people who got him to, to where he was a lot, uh, at, at this point. So. Yeah. And, and it's a reminder to just, you know, tell the people you love around you that you love them. Um, I, I went through this Twitter thread not that long ago and I sent it to, um, like my, my college and, and like really good high school friends, um, and, and this guy had basically gone through and, and done the math on, you know, people you grew up with that you went to college with that are even your adult friends, right? When you think about the totality of the amount of times that you're going to see those people, the amount of time you're going to spend with those people, you've probably already spent about 99% of the time that you're going to spend with those people. You've already, you've already done that, you know, and especially like you think about your parents as you're in your mid to yeah. late twenties, right. And, and how, you grew up every single day with them and in the totality of it, especially if you live far away, you know, there's only going to be 15, 20 more times end up seeing them. Right. And um, obviously this, this is about Dwayne Haskins, like in how devastating is about him, but it's a reminder to everybody to just make sure the people you love know that you love them and, and don't be afraid to say that stuff. Don't be afraid to reach out. Don't let the little things get in the way old beefs, weird arguments, anything like that. Like when you get a chance to see your people, um, especially as you get older, cherish every moment of it because, you know, life is fragile and, and you don't know when, when stuff's going to get taken away from you. So um, I know we're just a very, very small drop in the bucket of the amount of outpour and, and support for the Haskins family, um, as well as all the people who were really affected by it. Um, and I don't anticipate that us saying anything is going to help change anything. It's just, it, it just feels like it's a moment that we have to say that we, you know, our love and support and everything goes with them um, because it's, it can go, it can go away really quick. And, um, and just always try to keep that in mind. Um, there's never an easy way to transition after stuff like this. So we're just going to do it. Um, the masters this weekend, uh, all in all, 
I thought it was a really, really great Masters. Now, I'm hard pressed to ever think the Masters isn't awesome. Well, you know, yeah. right? On. Like it's it's <laughs> arguably my favorite sporting event of the year. I was telling my new roommate about it, and he not really a golf fan or much of a sports fan. I was kind of just explaining to him, like, yeah, like I I love these four days. You sit down, you wake up on Thursday, and you just have it on the back. You kind of pay attention throughout. You get to the weekend, and your hope is that it's competitive and there's drama. But the people who say, like, oh, this was a bad Masters or whatever, you're a loser. I'm sorry. The Dave Portnoy's of the world who are like, this Masters sucked. Like, okay, dude, don't watch it. That's fine. Like, I, I love the Masters every year. What about it? <laughs> because the whole thing, like, it had no real drama. Scotty was more or less the wire-to-wire finner, finish uh, uh, and leader after Friday. So it, it, I get it. It didn't have the craziness, but the return of Tiger alone – I think makes this yeah. this master special made the whole weekend special. Uh, I said on Friday's pod how ridiculous it was what he did in the first round. I mean, shooting one under par and and coming off and and he beat twelve out of the top fifteen players in the world. He beat on that first Thursday, right when everyone's playing in those same conditions. He made the cut. Uh, everything he did, even if he didn't have, even if he did kind of fall apart and he looked kind of sore and beaten up by the end of it. It was still unbelievable to have him there in any capacity. The crowds following him were amazing. The the 30-foot bomb he hit on 16, you know, on uh, on Thursday was one of the best putts of the entire freaking weekend, right? The whole yeah. thing was spectacular from, from the Tiger perspective. But this weekend was about Scotty Scheffler. And, Scott, you get all the credit in the world. Big weekend for the Scots. Scott Ben Pelt, Scotty Miller. And uh, and Scotty Scheffler, wish I'd man, played that well on Saturday, though. That's all. <laughs> well, you did at least pick him last week. I mean, you, yeah. he was the name that you threw out, and I didn't poo-poo it. I said on on the pod, like I would love to see Scotty Scheffler don the green jacket on Sunday, and he did, and I absolutely loved it. I was I, I love the guy. It's impossible not to like him. He's incredibly likable. But I think it's worth noting, like four out of his last six starts, he's won right. Before that first win, he had, good never, month and a half. <laughs> he had never won on tour. And now he just yeah. gets the biggest check, the biggest purse in the history of professional golf for winning the Masters. $2.7 million this year was the purse. The biggest in the history of the Masters and the history of the PGA. Oh, insane payday. And more importantly, you get to be a part of the Masters champions like you get to be Forever. on that that Tuesday night dinner when they're all there and everybody's freaking, you know, and, and that, to be a fly on the wall, man, like that would be on the short list of rooms I could be a fly on the wall in, right? Oh, Just yeah. to see this generation spanning back, the Gary Player and Jack there, you have Tiger there, you have Nick Faldo there, the Freddie Couples and like all these even kind of one-off, the Mike Weirs, right? Like Mike Weir had a pretty decent career. I think he won like mm -hmm. seven or eight times, but, you know, we're not talking about like, all-timers but it's the not all-timers mixed with the all-timers too yeah. and, and it's such a select and cool club and, and have and Scotty those, a part of that is amazing yeah those are the guys those those one-offs that you remember those tournaments because it was those guys who came seemingly out of nowhere and played to win the masses it wasn't the uh the chalky picks like we had uh, last week, they're like, yeah, these guys are the top players in the world for a reason obviously they're going to be one of the ones to win the masters um but no, man, Sky played well, uh, and and I think just the the personal triumph for Tiger to be in a hospital bed this time a year ago, 
to to being able to just play 72 holes at Augusta uh, in the Masters tournament was was just unreal. And, and the the way that he left the 18th green on Sunday, going through the uh, the the tunnel of people. Uh, as he headed back to Butler Cabin oh my to post God. Dude, the score, smile that was so on, cool. With his smile, it was just smile like, yeah. on his face. You would have thought yeah. he had won it like he did in nineteen. Like yeah. he was beaming. Yeah. He was so stoked to be back, and and to feel the support. You know, I think mm-hmm. Tiger's like one of the few athletes who, and golf is a very, um, it's a very uh solo sport for lack of a better word, right? Like you're on your own for a lot of it. You have to be so mentally tough. And I think Tiger put a lot on himself, especially like I went back and rewatched the Tiger documentary on Wednesday night before the night before the Masters kicked off. And just seeing like, you know, I think when after his dad passed, golf was something he had with his dad. Right. And then his dad passed and he probably felt like he was on an island a little bit. He in I think he always appreciated it, but he was always so locked in. And I think the beauty of what happened in 2019 is that he won. He never has to win again. He already did the thing that nobody thought he could do at his age after all of his health issues, after everything. And so I think he's, he's at this stage of life now. Obviously we've seen it when he plays with his son, but he just gets to enjoy golf. Like he, at his core, he loves golf. It's what makes him happy, right? He doesn't need the money. He doesn't need to do anything else. He doesn't need the extra adulation. He's never going to pass Jack's records and people who think that's still alive. I just disagree. I just don't think that's possible at this point in his career. So then why, why does he keep doing it? He does it because he loves the game. And yeah. I think he loves Moments his like role. <laughs> he likes being a role model. He likes getting that appreciation from the crowd, which is stuff that he, to, you know, he used to never talk about, you know, his strategy with the media or, or help younger players grow because he was so ultra competitive. And now that he, he did the thing, he won in his 40s at Augusta in that perfect 2019 Masters, he's just kind of like playing with house money, for lack of a better yeah. word, right? And he gets to just enjoy the spoils of all of the work he's put in over the last, you know, 25 plus years and, and yeah. or his whole life, honestly, but you know, at least in the public image over these last 25 years and, and the lows for him have been as low as anybody. So I, it made me happy seeing tiger out there. And I think anybody, yeah. you know, who, who was paying attention. Yeah. <laughs> w- would feel the same way. And I think a lot of people did. Um, yeah. And then but, for Scheffler, man, like, well, that's I, the thing, right? Cause yeah. only tiger could finish like, tied 50th and still upstage the guy who actually won. <laughs> um, but the Scotty Scheffler uh, story yeah. is amazing. Him, him and his reaction uh, with his wife afterwards, who again, like I've listened to like a lot of people who cover the tour and everything. They say like, he's the most normal, sweet, kind person. He and his wife play like board games with each other. Like that's how they spend their nights. Like mm-hmm. they just have this like adorable little life. And there was that line his dad said to him, as he was walking off that the mics caught, which was, he basically said, you bring joy to this world as they were embracing. He was like, I love you. He said like something like, I love you, Scotty. You, you bring light and happiness to this world. And like, you could see, okay, that's where so much of, of his upbringing has come into, come into play. Right. Like, and, and he played incredible golf. He's the best golfer on the planet right now. He's won four of the last six majors or, or four out of the six last six tournaments. He's playing out of his mind, and it's so yeah. it's so good to see a, a but, nice, kind-hearted, good dude who everyone can kind of get behind. Just go out and do it. And if you want to draw like 
comparisons on the golf course with that level of success. What what's the last golfer we've seen that like comes in guns blazing and is like just ripping through the PGA tour and winning a masters on his first try tiger. Right. So like, I don't know. It's probably too early to start that, but like those, the way he's playing right now, it seems very similar to me, the trajectory uh, on the golf course that, that could be taken. I got to see if I can find the tweet. I'm doing a little live research right now. Um, Somebody had put together uh, a thread uh, of like, the, it was like a list of players who have accomplished this thing. And when you read it, you're like, this seems, this seems like borderline impossible. I may not have saved the tweet, so I may not be able to pull it out. But it was like, won a World Golf Championship event, won three in a row, like three in a certain amount of time, and won a major all within a certain amount of time. Yeah. And it was Tiger, 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 Tiger. Scotty Scheffler. Yeah. <laughs> like he's in elite company for this run yeah. that he's on to the point that literally the only other person we've seen do this is Tiger Woods. So absolutely he is in a, an elite level of company for what this run he's been on and his game, like his short game, dude, like the chip in he had oh, was at number three. three. Yeah. Like that oh, was huge that blind chip after the, he was sitting in the trees. Yeah. <laughs> on and, his drive. Every time, like at one point, the lead, his three shot lead got down to one and he was completely unfazed. And luckily for him, Cam Smith kind of imploded a little bit. Uh, Rory kept the heat up. I mean, Rory yeah. shooting a what 64. What a day on Sunday. That's the uh, best round I've ever seen him play. Uh, I mean, he even said. Like the way he was hitting the ball. All right. Well, we can talk about now. I, I a Scotty Scheffler side, like not winning moment. The. The back-to-back chip-ins out of the sand from from Rory and Colin Morcala was the absolute most electric moment I've seen from a non-winning moment at the Masters. And before that, on 10, they matched Eagles. Yeah. Yeah. It was a 10 or 13. It was was 13, yeah. Yeah. And and then those two shots, I mean, uh, Rory was right back in the thing uh, with that that chip-in, and he goes eight under on the day. And apart from that, that was just one of the most unbelievable shots I've ever seen at Augusta. Yeah. Uh, and and he's celebrating. He's doing a dance I've never seen any person, white or otherwise, do, which was wild. Yeah, it was like this uh, like swing move where yeah, he like was, threw his club and then yeah, went it was to like, like uh, It was almost hands. like Matt Foley where he was like, down yeah. by the river. Yes, and, uh, it was very, it was very Chris Farley-esque. And, uh, and <laughs> so, so he's... Pulls that out, and then uh, Morikawa said, "Hold my beer," and does it from, from the same or, or well, a separate bunker. But like, so I wasn't watching. I wasn't watching the CBS feed because I didn't. We didn't have it. Um, we've had issues with our YouTube TV account, so I was watching on the um, on the like select group, the featured group on ESPN Plus, right? And so it wasn't Faldo and Jim Nance, who apparently a lot of people got pissed off because. It was Fal- weird. Faldo kind of ruined it for everybody. It was it was just a bad transition because they they had I think um, Cam Smith and and Scheffler they were on uh, it would have been sixteen I guess yeah uh, for the par three. Um, I think they had and, finished up fifteen and were like getting ready to tee off on yeah, sixteen. No, they, they were they were lining up a putt on fifteen then or something like that, and and um, so they were they were had the camera on them lining up this putt. Um, and you can hear the roar, uh, from 18 
And uh, and Jim Nance goes, I think I know what that was. Yeah. <laughs> and, or Faldo, one of the two. And, and yeah, so it kind of got ruined on the CBS front. Well, so the ESPN one was actually great because I, I don't know exactly who the two guys were, were doing the play-by-play and, and the commentary on it. But the, uh, he, like, the, whoever the uh, color commentary was, like, he did a perfect job of, of explaining what the shot was and what it was going to look like and what he was. And he kept saying, like, look at where Rory's aiming. Like, look how far right Rory's aiming to get this up so it's going to trickle down. And then you watch it all happen, and they called it live, which was fantastic. And so I'm sitting there by myself. I'm like, oh, my God, what a chip shot. But then they kept the live feed up. And this is like a little behind uh, baseball kind of deal where uh, they, you know, they threw or inside, I said behind baseball, inside baseball, where so Roy hits the shot and then they show his celebration afterwards. And then after his celebration, they cut to the live feed, which was of Rory. And then Rory freaking out for Morikawa, he put his arms up, right? And I'm like, wait, what the hell just happened? And then they cut to the delayed feed of Colin Morikawa then hitting the chip. And I'm like, wait, did they both? Just go back. And I had to rewind it to fully understand what was happening. But once I did, I was like, holy shit. Like, yeah. what a back and forth. What a like, what a moment right there. And Rory said afterwards, and it might have been a little bit of hyperbole. I don't know. But he said it was the most fun he's ever had on a golf course. I mean, was that moment. I, and it looked the, like it based off of his like, – I don't think I've ever seen Rory have – like, make that kind of expression. It reminded me of when um Jordan Spieth hold out. To, I don't know if it was to win the PGA Championship or U.S. Open or it might have just been a tournament. But whenever he holed out he had out of the bunker and he threw his thing up and he went up, he did like the shoulder bump with his caddy afterwards. Like mm-hmm. it reminded me of that a little bit, which I thought was like, oh, my God, this is like it was just so fun which is, to see. It's rare to see at Augusta. I mean, even the the tiger chipping out of the bunker on on 16, the in your life. Have you yeah. ever, Stewart, sitting on the on the edge oh, of the it's hole? Oh, my favorite golf half. shot in the history. But even of that, golf. yeah, even that was less, or at the same level of of uh, of emphatic as as any shot I've seen at Augusta, and because Augusta is so reverent, it never you know gets like that. Um, and so it was cool to see uh, because you see that at other tournaments, but never yeah. never at like like. The masters in particular but i think this but... and this brings me to the, the next thing i wanted to talk about with the masters which is that this was the first time it felt normal again right because last year it was a limited, while, yeah. it was limited patrons and then 2020 was in november so this was the first time since tiger won in 2019 where it felt like oh this is like the math like this felt like the masters and mm-hmm. it kind of felt like especially and people gave the dude perfect shit a lot you know a lot of shit or whatever but even like they were doing those drone shots of the clubhouse and like yeah. Augusta approving that even like stuff that you never thought that the chairman and everybody at Augusta would like ever let happen. They kind of started to let happen. So I think everybody was just having so much fun. There was no real drama. So people just wanted to see crazy shit happen. And that was such a perfect moment where you had Rory and Morikawa, two of the top 10 players in the world, both holding out at arguably the most iconic 18th hole in all of golf. Even though they and Rory too finishing one shot off the course record, I mean he shot a sixty-four yeah. course record is a sixty-three. Yeah. It was just amazing, and I thought the whole experience of like, yeah, was it the greatest, most competitive Masters of all time? No, but it felt like the Masters again. Yeah. Tiger having an insane group following him, like even like yeah, I'm showing my roommate, and they were showing sixteen. Um, you know, as Scheffler was getting and and Cam Davis were getting ready to to tee off there. 
And he's like, holy shit, there's a lot of people at this event. Like he doesn't even understand how like PGA events like work. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, like, no, but this one's even, even crazier. And this is like the most iconic hole. This is the last group. People want to come down and, and watch the 16th. Cause there's hole in one implications that that pin placement where tiger hit the chip in, we're talking about, you know, Vern Lundquist in your life, all that stuff happens there. So people love to go watch the 16th hole at Augusta. And it, it was absolutely electric, even though it didn't really feel like anything was was possible you know it didn't feel like oh yeah Scheffler's gonna blow this lead or anything once cam hit into the water on 12 it was over yeah it was it was it there was just no chance at that point um yeah and, unless yeah. he were to eagle the only way he could have bounced back would have been if he had eagled 13 he tried to hit a long iron shot and he didn't turn it over enough and he ended up laying up and i think he even ended ended up with a a, a bogey on that hole anyway and he kind of pulled himself out of contention but yeah, and even some of the the par saves that that Scheffler had to keep him at that 10 11 level. Uh the way Rory played, like that could have easily slipped away from Scheffler um if he looks up at the board on on uh when he hits a man corner and goes, "Oh shit. <laughs> Here comes yeah. Rory." Well, that's what um, was so which impressive. can happen on a Sunday at Augusta. Like, but that's what was so impressive about Scotty Scheffler and his caddy um is a Drew Tim Scott, Drew Scott, it's something Ted. Scott. Ted Scott, thank you. Yeah, he was um, uh, Bubba's caddy uh, mm -hmm. when both times that he won, I believe. So yeah, multi-winning, you know, caddy at Augusta. That's a nice person to have in your back pocket, right? And that's a nice guy to have you kind of help navigate the course. And for a guy who doesn't have much experience at Augusta, Scotty Scheffler on Sunday looked like a vet. He looked like a dude who like he was playing the shots that you expect, like a Tiger or Phil or one of these guys who've won their Bubba, who've been in that position, who know how you have to kind of approach certain holes. The, uh, trying to explain what makes Augusta special to someone who doesn't understand golf was very difficult, but I loved <laughs> trying to do it because it's not just that the greens are crazy fast. It's not just that there's crazy undulations. It's that everything is so specifically and intentionally placed. Every hole placement, every tee box, every landing area, every fairway, everything is bunker. so <laughs> every bunker so intentional and specific and done to perfection, which is what makes Augusta so freaking awesome, mm -hmm. right? Because you have to play pretty much perfectly on Sunday in order to win. And Scotty did until he got to the 18th green and he four putted to win the masters, which was that like, and this is again, what one of the things I love about Scotty Sheffield makes him so relatable. Like every single one of us, there's a video of you and me, playing golf like two weeks ago of yeah. me having a three foot birdie putt and I'm, and I'm doing the Bill Murray voice, you know, at Augusta for, for the win on the 18th. Right. And I, and I completely shanked the putt completely shanked it. Yeah, right. And right that's just <laughs> you and me and you're watching the video and like, taking the video and literally you and me and maybe one other person have seen that video. Like that's <laughs> like, that's literally it. I can't imagine standing there with, all of those people, all of the cameras, the millions of people watching at home while you're trying to sink a putt, even if it's only two and a half feet to win the Masters. And it just made him even more relatable, yeah. more likable. Um, I say I tend to believe like Augusta is my favorite when the winner gets to that 10 to 12 under mark. But you also have more people. When you look at the leaderboard, there was only, what, 10 guys who finished under par? Eight, uh, no, 10 guys. Yeah, no, 10, 10. 10, 10 guys finished under par in the entire field. 
which is real. It says a lot about a, how good of golf Scotty's playing. Um, yeah. You look at Rory, Rory went 73, 73, 71, and then 64. So he only got to seven under because he shot eight under on Sunday. Shane Lowry actually had a really, really good tournament. Uh, shot 73, 68, 73, 69. But the conditions on Saturday were brutal. It was cold and windy. windy. <laughs> um, Friday was like 30 mile an hour winds. Uh, on Thursday, it had rained the night before. So the morning crew, like the Tigers and stuff, had a nice, actually could be somewhat aggressive. But the afternoon people, once that hardened out, kind of got screwed over. And then Sunday, it was just like he has such a too big of a lead that unless Scotty were to really fuck up, He's not going to blow this. Yeah. Um, and he apparently was like violently ill this like the morning of like was so nervous. He was like throwing up. He was crying um, like he, he couldn't keep food down. And then I think once he got in the course, it was like, OK, I'm good. But so, again, I, I, some of the stories of him and his wife that came out about all that. She made him this big breakfast and told him like, hey, it doesn't matter if you win or lose. It's not going to change. You could never win another golf tournament again. And it was just a really wholesome awesome kind of like quintessential like great masters even if the golf itself wasn't as competitive competitive as we've seen in years past yeah but it was still good golf like it was really good golf especially on sunday um when when everything kind of firmed back up and it was like a a normal round at augusta where you weren't contending with uh with all the conditions yeah. Uh, and it gets I me mean, ex- the greens were different every day. Like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it gets me excited to see what Rory can do moving forward, man. You know, and more cow is still finishing right you know, top five. Like I'm excited to see what these guys who, you know, more cow, we know is not going anywhere. Zalatoris plays Augusta really well. He, you know, and- think about that. Think about Zalatoris goes second in his first ever masters and then tied for sixth in his second masters. Yeah. That's, that's pretty good. So I expect him and even camp Smith, um, to, to be wearing green jackets one day because Cam Absolutely. plays that Cam Smith so plays well. so well. Yeah. I was kicking myself. And I said that on the pod on Friday, like I was kicking myself that I didn't take Cam Smith on any of my, any of my bets. Cause I was like, are you, I realized I got, like, I forgot. I forgot how good Cam Smith is at Augusta. He's yeah. always so fucking good. And we said this too. We were talking, when we were talking about Molinari last week, 12 yeah. is, is always the thing that's going to kill you. Like yep. <laughs> that is the, that is the backbreaker hole for whatever reason. It's a small green. It's a narrow green. If you fly it, like whatever you do, you can't leave it short, which is the thing I don't get why guys always end up going short, short there. You can't go short on 12, but even if you hit it into the, the azaleas in the back, you're still better off than going short, you know? And I get, it's way easier said than done. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like <laughs> so, I know yeah. how to do, but like, but I'm also like, how do you, after how many times have we seen people leave that shot short and it's absolutely killed you? Finau did it. Molinari did it in their final group in the year tiger one and tiger goes up and goes, I know the safe landing area. I've played this a million times. 40, I'm gonna 40 stick feet it right left. There. I'm just going to stick it there and yep. be on the green and safe and mm-hmm. dry. And we'll two putt <laughs> and we'll two putt. We'll take our par and we'll get on out of here. Uh, but the leaderboard by the end of it was great. I mean, you look at the guys who were in the top 20. Tommy Fleetwood had a good outing. Hideki, another good outing. Uh, um, uh, DJ is up there. He finished tied for 12. He was even par. Yeah. Um, Sung J.M. was tied eighth. Justin Thomas had an awesome. Uh, he shot 67 on uh, on Friday and then just even par, even par. So he had a nice round. 
Um, Corey Connors is another dude who is like a dark horse. I'd mentioned him briefly, like in passing on, on the pod earlier, but then it's Morkow, it's Cam Smith, it's Shane Lauer, it's Rory, it's Scotty. It was all of the best players started to, who at least made the cut. Well, found yeah. their way into the top 10. I think Wilder is, uh, still is the, the guys that didn't make it. I mean, yeah. the names that, that didn't, uh, a lot of them in the top 10, Kepka didn't make the cut. DeChambeau didn't make the cut, which is a great call by you. Yeah. Um, Spieth didn't make the cut. Uh, Spieth, yeah. Ustazen, who always plays Augusta. Well, he withdrew after the first round, too. He was hurt. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Bryson lost to two amateurs, also lost to Freddie Couples. <laughs> like, Bernard Langer played better than yeah. uh, Bryson. Like, the amount of people who outplayed Bryson. Oh, was, it was, uh, he was paired with Larry Mines, and who was averaging 230 off the tee box. And, uh, and people kept uh, showing that stat and then uh, uh, paraphrasing or, or requoting Bryson saying, Oh, Augusta's a par 67 for me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I love I love I love him failing. Now, I we will be honest on this pod. We gave out a lot of picks. Now, and this is also my argument for why this Masters was actually a lot better than people think and why a lot better than what people have have said and have kind of pooed a little. Um, if you place bets, unless you pick Scotty Scheffler to win, chances are you probably didn't do very well mm-hmm. this year betting. Uh, I gave you guys just about 25 to 30 names you know for different things i hit on three of those we did get tiger to make the cut and to to miss the cut so those count so if we add those and it's five um harry higgs top 20 he finished tied 14 that was plus 850 that was a big win that was one of Vito's bets uh so you know we have it recorded legally binding contract uh, it, it's on the record he did say he would give me uh you know my 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 due for bringing that to him uh, we then also had, let me pull up here, uh, Morikawa finishing top five. That was another one. And then Sung JM finishing top 10. So all three of those hit. Everything else missed wildly. Kevin Kisner, the wind killed him. The cold weather killed him. Um, and I think playing with Tiger on Saturday hurt him as well. Uh, he had been playing pretty well throughout the first two days. He was dancing under par after Friday. I think he was two under or might have been one two. under, uh, two under going into Saturday. So I think that hurt him uh, as well. Just like, hey, you get paired up with Tiger, like, that's brutal, man. Like, that's just – that's a brutal spot to be in. Uh, and Kiz just did not finish great. Max Homa really struggled, 77-78. But he did make the cut, so we like that for him. Um, but all in all, man, it was just a great Masters. And I get it. It wasn't the most drama-filled. It wasn't coming down to 18. But in a weird way, I kind of love that moment when the guy who's going to win is walking up 18 and everybody knows it and you can just give him his due because the money's great. The winning a major is great, but winning the masters is just, I can't imagine there's a better level. I can't imagine there's a better (laughs) feeling in sports. I can't, I can't imagine there's a better feeling in sports than walking up 18, knowing you're going to win the masters, even if you have to four putt to get there. Now, the hypothetical that's been going around, I know the part of my take guys did this too. If you knew you had a five-stroke lead going into 18, do you think you would have been able to – if you jumped in in that exact situation, do you think you would have been able to, to uh, win it? No, no, not at Augusta. Not a chance. Maybe it's the irrational confidence in me, but I kind of think I could. <laughs> I, by all means. Because like, if you think about it, like, you'd go like – 
six iron off the tee, you wouldn't hit driver, right? If you know, like, hey, this is, I just have to do this. Probably like six iron off the tee, hit another six iron up there, and then I'd probably be like a pitching wedge to the green. That's three, right? And I'm going to get, what, eight strokes, nine strokes? I kind of think I could do it. I kinda, maybe, maybe I couldn't. Maybe I wouldn't. I may under those the pressure and everyone watching and everything. I, I bet you, yeah. I I wouldn't. I bet you, like I know deep down this is an irrational, dumb thought, and maybe just because I played really a good golf on Sunday, maybe that's why. Mm. But I kind of just feel like you know what, my irons are good. I can just put the driver away, hit three iron shots to get up to the green, and then just work my way there. If you give me four putts there, like if I'm on the green and I have to make it in four to win. I feel like I might be able to, but then again, I've never ever had to put play on that kind of greens. Now the whole location there, if you keep it on the bottom level, you might be able to get it done. If you get above the green and you're putting downhill, you're going back down to the fairway and then you're messing up. But if you laid everything short and even if you had to putt off the green, I think I might be able to slowly creep my way up. Maybe not, maybe not. And maybe that's just irrational confidence, but I thought that was a like a fun little hypo- hypothetical thought there. Um, great masters, great masters, and congrats to Sh- Scotty Scheffler. We love Scotty Scheffler on this pod. The chef, and uh, and shout out to everybody here. You know, God, the, the the money involved in this is crazy, dude. Like it's just it's like two, DJ DJ finished for, uh, two point seven for, for Scotty, one point six for Rory finishing second, and then Cam Smith and Shane Lowry both brought eight. 870 K back. So uh, not a bad week in the office. We'll put it that way for, uh, for yeah. them and uh, a damn beautiful office at that. Uh, all right. Let's take a quick break. We're going to come back, uh, talk NBA wrapping up regular season, as well as a little bit of MLB opening day talk on the other side. Stick around. Be right back. All right. NBA playoffs are here. The playing games start Tuesday night, Cleveland at Brooklyn for the seventh versus eighth uh, place game, and then the Clippers in Minnesota. Wednesday, you have Charlotte and Atlanta, and then San Antonio and New Orleans. Now, how this works, to refresh everybody, if you win as the seventh, eighth seed game, so if Cleveland wins, they're the seventh seed, it's done. Brooklyn would then face the winner of Charlotte and Atlanta, and vice versa, right? And if the Clippers beat Minnesota, then the Clippers get the seventh seed, and then Minnesota would play the winner of San Antonio and New Orleans. Uh, It's that simple. We have Tuesday night, Wednesday night, no games Thursday. Friday night will be the uh, the coronation of whoever the last play-in team is as the eighth seed game. And then the actual playoffs start Saturday night. Um, so on Friday's pod, we will preview a lot of the playoffs and, and get a little more in-depth to some of the matchups and stuff like that. But for right now, we're just talking play-ins. Um, but we also – there's some other stuff going on. So the regular season wraps. Report comes out late last night that the Lakers are moving on from Frank, Frank Vogel as the head coach. And I talked about this on the pod with Denton last week. And the, the Lakers, LeBron, lack of accountability thing. And Denton made this point, and it's a great point, which is that every team LeBron's ever gone to, he's left, he's left them worse than he found them, right? They're a worse team, a worse organization be, after he's there because he was there because of how overpowering it is. And when Frank Vogel won and they won the championship, right? It was, wow, Frank, you know, LeBron, his guy, Frank Vogel's my guy. I wanted him to be the head coach. 
and look how great it is. When they went out and got Anthony Davis and Anthony Davis and them will win the championship in the bubble, it was the same thing. I knew this would work. We're still the core. We got more championships coming, all that stuff, right? And now this year, oh, well, we didn't make the playoffs, so Frank Vogel has to go. And, oh, yeah, this didn't work. But the front office was actually the ones who wanted Russell Westbrook, not me. It's this subtle lack of accountability in which LeBron is incapable of allowing to be like, hey, you know what? Hand up. You know what? Getting a bunch of washed superstars doesn't actually work out. You know, just because we had a bunch of big names that I knew for years, LeBron's still amazing. LeBron still finished second in scoring per game this year in the NBA. Yeah, the dude can and still. He's going to finish fourth in the MVP race. Yeah, I mean, I probably not. He, I mean, he'll probably be like third team All NBA, um, which you know, it, it to me it's very similar to like Bradley Beal. Like Bradley Beal got on third team All NBA last year, led the league in scoring, um, but he was on an absolutely terrible Washington team that didn't make the playoffs. And LeBron, terrible Lakers team, doesn't make the playoffs, still leads the league in scoring. LeBron, at best, is probably third-team All-NBA, and I don't think he finishes top five in MVP voting. I hope he doesn't, at least, because there are so many good candidates this year, and we've already talked at length on this pod about the MVP discussion. So we'll get to that once we actually know who won the MVP. But this, this whole Frank Vogel's fault or Russell Westbrook's fault or it was Ty Lue's fault, it's just it, David Blatt. You can go through his whole career. With the exception of, honestly, Spolstra. Spo was the one guy because I don't think LeBron could ever – LeBron could never talk back to Patrick, Pat Riley. So because of that, I don't think he ever really had the chance to be like, nope, nope, I want my guy, I want my guy. It was like, no, you brought the guys there and they were great, but then he leaves and he wanted to be the one in control like Pat Riley was. The Lakers are in some serious trouble. I would assume they're going to try to get off of Russell Westbrook this year. I think that's tough because if you are Oklahoma City, right, a reunion with Russ might sound fun or whatever, but that's a team with young players. Like, you don't want to take the ball to SGA's hand and have Russell Westbrook running around with the ball. That's going to help his development. And Sam Presti, if I know Sam Presti, like we've seen over the last 15 years of him as the GM of the Oklahoma City Thunder, I don't think Sam Presti – is going to be doing that anytime soon either. So you're probably looking at a really, really bad team with no young superstar to kind of build around, which there's really only one option, and that's Houston. And Russ was just in Houston yeah. already. So I don't know what the Lakers do Detroit, moving nah, forward here. Nah. Detroit has Cade Cunningham, and they're going to have yeah. another great pick this year, right? Like, And Cade Cunningham is sick. Like He's, he's, he's going to be really, really good. So I don't, I don't know what they do here, and I don't know what happens with Russ because you're looking at paying him close to $60 million next year for a guy that you really can't play much at all, <laughs> should be coming off the bench, and actively makes a, a competitive – he makes a bad team better, so the bad teams don't want him if they're trying to tank and would be willing to eat up his contract, and he makes good teams worse. So the Lakers here, where do they go? Um. I don't in in terms of personnel or uh, on the court or, all, uh, all the all the way around. I mean, I don't. I, I mean, there's a there's like a handful of guys I could think of off the top of my head who could take on that situation if they decide to leave that personnel group together. Uh, Doc, I would guess if he becomes available, which Philly uh, fans would love that. Which yeah, <laughs> uh, Quinn Snyder's another guy I think. Uh, even though he doesn't have the the championship pedigree, he's he's a much more modern guy who can who can sort of work with LeBron and and understand that hey, this is LeBron's team. I'm just the 
the the navigator, not the uh, not the captain. Yeah. Um, which is kind of what I think uh, that LeBron tried to have with with Vogel and Ty Lue. Um, but you know, for for I I I I disagree that that is the the problem. I think the problem is what's on the court, and the fact that you can you can just justify putting this team together and and then coming up what 10 11 12 games under under 500 um yeah more than that even 16 uh is it's like an atrocity especially for a guy in lebron who granted is one of the greatest players we've ever seen do it and and in in some cases do it on his own uh like when he was in cleveland um and uh, to some degree, uh, but he's not getting any younger, right? Like the window is starting to close a little bit. And, uh, you know, like in football, we saw, you know, at least Tom Brady, when the ship wasn't right, they were still like making it to the postseason and giving themselves a shot at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, so I don't know. I, I, I think the, the, the aging LeBron needs to take accountability for, uh, especially when you're in a, a huge market like that uh, and everyone's eyes are on you, that you, you can't be the one to sit there and say, you know what? Uh, this is everyone else's fault for, for the fact that this, look, I led the league in scoring. Like this, this isn't my fault. Uh, no, you have to But that's like, intentional, right? Cause that's yeah. the thing. It's like LeBron <laughs> doesn't want to go down with the ship. He wants to prove how the ship was failing, but it wasn't his fault. He's right. not, you know, he's not the Titanic captain saying, oh, I crashed into an iceberg. He's the guy up there saying, like, oh, no, the engine room actually failed. That wasn't on me. I I, I didn't do anything wrong. No, no, no. See, I drove the ship perfectly. Like, yeah. no, dude, like, I get it. You can still put up points. Chasing Kareem was more important here. You used the last 30 games of the season to pad the stats to try to catch Kareem, which I can respect to a certain degree. I can at least understand that. But at the same time, like, Anthony Davis clearly took the criticisms from guys like Barkley and Shaq and the, and the TNT crew did to heart, right? He was soft. He needed to put on weight. He needed to be more of a big man. That's not what made Anthony Davis so dangerous. It's yeah. the fact that he was so long and lean and he could, and could shoot, shoot. <laughs> ridiculously well, right? Since the bubble, he's shooting like 25% from three. He's the worst jump shooter in the NBA. Only actually sorry, second worst, only slightly ahead of his other teammate, Russell Westbrook. And he's missed most of both of the two seasons since then. Yeah. And, and the injury thing, we said this when he was in new Orleans, cause it was like, Oh, it, it's honestly, it's like, it's interesting to me that Anthony Davis and Embiid have kind of, they, they both were injury prone younger in their career, but no one ever held that against Anthony Davis. And they always held it against Embiid, which I get cause it was foot related and feet and big man that scares you and back and big man that scares you both of which Embiid had, but it's the muscle injuries. It's the tweaks and the little things yeah. that are holding him out here. And Anthony Davis putting on all of this mass and getting all ripped up. Like, I think it actually hurt his game a lot. And again, we can sit here and say, oh, well, you know, the, the LeBron apologist, the Nick, the Nick Wrights of the world. And I look, I worked with Nick Wright. I've had this conversation with him before. I get all of his arguments, but he doesn't look at this stuff and be like, he will look at this and find a way like LeBron does to blame everybody else around him. But at its core, that team doesn't do anything that LeBron doesn't want to do. And it's not just signing it off. 
And I'm not saying that every decision he makes, right, because he doesn't have time to literally be the GM, but every single decision goes by LeBron. He okays and says, yes, I want to do this, especially something as big as going out and getting Russell Westbrook, which everybody who pays attention to the NBA knew was a horrible idea from the get-go. And I think in any – there's – Two other cities, I think, that this any other team that this would fly with, uh, the exceptions being the Knicks uh, uh, and and Boston, probably. But any other team city outside of uh, of those three, Boston, uh, New York and Los Angeles. That flies like it doesn't matter because he can just move on like this is the I wouldn't fly in Philly. This is the big. It, it, it would be tolerated for a while until they were like, I'm fed up with this. Get out. Um, he would have a certain amount of grace period. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I think but, any of those cities would, I think, I think New York and Boston and LA, like, especially if, if you say, Hey, you do get a cha- one championship with it's, it. Like it's is not the about one the, championship worth it for all of this other crap. And, and the fact that the, the Pelicans made the playoffs over you, or at least the playing tournament over you, and they're going to get your first round pick this year, which, yeah has a chance to be a top 10 pick. I don't know. Like, I, I don't see, I, I don't think anybody would, would be stoked about it from this point on. I don't think it would fly anywhere. Now, maybe a smaller market team, maybe somewhere like Cleveland where he's the hometown kid and everything like that. And he brings you the first championship in what, 60 years, whenever it was when they won in 2016. Uh, I just, I, I don't know where you go. I, I don't know where you go. And the more I think about it, the more I think they're going to have a really hard time getting rid of, Russell Westbrook and any other team that didn't have to give up the amount of draft capital that they did for Anthony Davis. You could at least attach draft picks and stuff to it. Yeah. You have to give ass. You have to give assets to get rid of Russell Westbrook and they don't have any. Yeah. So that's a trade machine nightmare. (laughs) I don't, I don't. And, and just to then even get the salaries to work, let alone thinking about how is this going to make our team better? This was their chips all in moment. And I think it's backfired on them. It reminds me a lot of, the uh, was it the Rockets who put together a team in the late nineties that was Clyde Drexler and Charles Barkley and Scottie Pippen. Yeah. And they, and they all came and they were all way past their prime. I think it might've been like, like 99 or like 2000. Um, yeah. Steve Francis. Yeah. Like rookie Steve Francis was on that team too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me a little bit of that. And, and that team was a disaster, but the crazy thing is, and there's a couple other teams throughout, like even you look at like the Lakers when they got Steve Nash and Dwight Howard with Kobe, like even some of those teams, they at least made the playoffs. Yeah. This was arguably one of the worst assimilations of aging talents games. we've ever had. 16 games under 500. Yeah. 16. And LeBron will never get credit for it. will never take the blame for this because the people will say, oh, what are you talking about? He averaged 30 points a game, you know, to close out the season. LeBron quit on his team. LeBron quit on the team winning and decided yeah. I'm just going saying, to give me the ball. Points. Yeah. yeah. But he straight up quit. He wholeheartedly quit on the team to do what was right best by LeBron. And he'll never get the credit. He'll never get the shit for it because all of his LeBron stands are going to say he was averaging 30 points a game. The last game of the year he played, he put up 38. He quit on his team but see, to focus on what was going to make LeBron's legacy better, which is Jason is Kareem. This is where I think some of the apologists get like vindicated is because like he did the opposite when he went to Miami and then back to Cleveland. He was like, no, we need to create this 
team team that's going to win. I don't care how many points I get a night. Like I'll be the guy if you need me to be the guy. But even in the in the one championship they did win in Cleveland, he wasn't the guy. Uh, it was uh, Kyrie was with guy. that big shot at the end. Yeah, yeah, but he was still the guy. I mean, LeBron's um, stat line at the end of that was that was one of the greatest games I've ever seen a basketball player play. Ever. It might be the best game I've ever seen, like an individual play in that game. Yes, Kyrie hit the game winner, no question. But LeBron had like what was it like forty and like fifteen assists and like and twelve rebounds. And then, yeah, and then obviously the big block on it too. Like, I'm not, this is why I, I love LeBron, the basketball player. I love watching Le- LeBron James play basketball. I will always, always, always give him credit for it. It's all of this nonsense and, and the way he will sculpt a narrative to make it so no matter what, he's not the bad guy. Yeah. And it's this, it's all in this pursuit of trying to go down as better than Michael. But, Michael was the ultimate, like Michael was, was very similar to KD. Like KD is cut from that same cloth. Like Mm -hmm. I'm just a hooper. I'm coming out here. I'm going to destroy you. I'm a a savant at this game. My technician, my defense, all that stuff is amazing. And I'm just going to fucking bury shot after shot in your face. KD says all the time. He's like, I don't give a shit about all that legacy stuff. He's like, I know how good I am. He's like, if other people see it, cool, but I know how good I am. My peers know how good I am, and I'm just going to come out and ball. It's and I'll tell this. you about her on Twitter later. Yeah, which, to be honest, let's be if Michael Jordan was around in the Twitter oh. era, don't you think the chirps yeah, and, lo- and all the back and forth would have been amazing? I love this take because that is so accurate. <laughs> he would have been so locked in to what everybody was saying about him. He was like, negative or, or otherwise that he would be doing the same thing. That is such a great take. And it wouldn't even be like he cared. It would just be like, fuck you. Like he, he would yeah. do what KD does, which is just yeah. saying, fuck you, you little bitch. Like that's KD's response. And the internet goes like, oh shit, <laughs> KD just went off. And it's like, he yeah. just said, fuck you, little bitch. But we don't see guys do that. That's the kind of shit Jordan would do where he genuinely <laughs> wouldn't care what people were saying, but he would still get back and be like, fuck you. No. I'm yeah. And then he'd go best. out the next night and drop 45. Exactly, exactly. But with LeBron, it's also perfectly choreographed and cultivated and sculpted to make sure that no matter what, like even that what I just Uh, said, right? He averaged 30 points a game to close out the the whole season, but then to close out was averaging like 34, 35 over the last couple months. Mm -hmm. And he can then forever say, I didn't quit on my team. But we all know, what do we all know about LeBron? LeBron's at his best when he's making other people better. Yep. And he wasn't doing that. He was playing selfish basketball to chase Kareem. And sure, you can say, well, he knew they didn't have a chance at the title, whatever. I'm like, all right, well, then let's go back to the famous tweet. You want to keep the same energy? We're keeping the same energy, dude. Just get up there and be like, hey, you know what? We fucked this up. Yeah, I would have so much, so much more respect for, for LeBron off the court and the way he cares about his legacy if he actually did that and was just like, Hey, you know what? Yeah, we weren't agreed. good enough. We weren't good yeah. enough. And that's part of that's on me. And we don't get that from LeBron. We never nope. do. me nuts. All right. Um, a couple other NBA things here. Cause we went a little long there, but I, I think both of us have no problem with, with bashing the Lakers or, uh, no, or, sir. Le- or LeBron when we get a chance. I never um, do. <laughs> the Sixers are playing um, the Toronto Raptors in the first round. That game will be on Saturday night. Hey, the reason, <laughs> um, yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, what is the Saturday night schedule, by the way? I have it up in front of me here. I just got to slide Say Denver, I know. It was um, on there. Saturday, we have Utah and Dallas. We have Memphis versus TBD, and then we have Philly and Toronto. Um, 
So, oh, this is also says, uh, this is probably meant to say Sunday then. Um, come on, ESPN. They have Saturday twice. Uh, and then Sunday, they will have uh, Golden State and Denver. They have Boston, TBD, Miami, TBD, Milwaukee, Chicago, and then Phoenix and TBD. So Saturday, it looks like we are getting uh, Utah, Dallas, Memphis, TBD, and then Philly and Toronto. Unless like my ESPN feed right now is, looks different than yours. I, I think they fucked up the website. Um, so the Sixers played Toronto and it came out last night as well that Matisse Thibel will not be available for the games in Toronto because he only got the first Pfizer dose and never got a second one. Um, we've been pretty consistent on this pod over the last couple of years talking about, you know, COVID as a whole, not agreeing with people's decisions, but like trying to understand it. This one's tough because if you got the first one, you already kind of sold out from your, your stance to begin with. And to not get the second one feels really stupid is harsh, but it feels really fucking stupid. It just doesn't make sense. Like throw it in your planner. I don't know. And and I would say this Thibel, I mean, I know he hasn't been as great from three and there's some Philly fans who get frustrated by by him, but he's going to be first team all defense this year. I mean, he has, I I saw another group of stats of like the four people who are like in the top 10 in blocks and steals. Like there's like four guys this year who are in all of them. They all played close to 2000 minutes. Bible played like 1600 comparatively. And yet he had more steals, more steals, more blocks than Jokic who had played 2400 minutes, right? Like he's just, he's the best on ball defender in the league as a wing, pure wing defender, right? I'd say Giannis is the best defender because he can guard any position. But I mean, talking about just wing defenders, I don't think there's anybody better than Thibault. I've loved Thibel. He's been one of my favorite players since they drafted him. And in Philly, he was borderline universally loved. And it really, like, it really, like, broke my heart. Like, it really made me sad seeing Thibel kind of come out and say the stuff that he did about holistic medicine and how he doesn't, you know, didn't believe and he got the first one, but he didn't get the second one. And, and now he's, he's willing to just kind of like completely fuck over his team after having kept this hidden all season. It wasn't until Philly went up to Toronto earlier, uh, just like last week and all, and it was like, he was ineligible to play. And everyone's like, wait, why is he ineligible to play? And, and then we saw like people pulled up old articles that said he was fully vaccinated, but I guess he only had the one vaccination. And it just really bums me out because he's from a basketball perspective, he's a really important player for the Sixers. I don't know. And, and Toronto with Nick Nurse and that team, like I, I really think Toronto has a really good chance of beating Philly in the first round now. Um, and they're hot too, yeah. Toronto. And I just don't know how this is going to affect the rest of the locker room. You know, I don't know how, how you go about this. Like without that consistency, without the chemistry, they've used Thibel so much this year. Yeah. It's just really disappointing, I think, is the best way to say it. And at the end of the day, it's, it's a free country. If you choose not to get the vaccine, you choose not to get the vaccine. All right. And, and that's your choice. But for a guy who has always been so well-spoken, so intelligent, represented the city, the organization, everybody so well. And I would say right now it was probably one of my top three favorite Philadelphia athletes. It was just a really, really big bummer. And, and I hate to see this. And imagine being James Harden, dude, right? You get away from Brooklyn because you want to be on a team where people aren't 
doing stupid shit like this and are going to be available for games. And now your first round matchup, you're going up against a really good defensive team with good wing scores. Like Thibel would be able to match up against Siakam, who's been lighting it up over the yeah. last like half of the season. They're not going to be able to do that now. And uh, it, it's just a really disappointing. And the person I feel the worst for probably is Embiid. Because I don't, I don't think he's going to win the MVP. I don't think Harden's going to show up in the playoffs. And all of this will be the biggest wasted season for a guy who Embiid led the league in scoring, first center since Shaq in 2000 to do so, 22 years since somebody did this. And he's only like the fourth center since like Kareem to do it. I, the fact that it's all going to get wasted – and part of it's because Matisse Thibel just wouldn't get the second fucking dose. Not not both the second one. Or if you were only going to get one, why the fuck wouldn't he just get the Johnson and Johnson one? And then all he would have needed was the one. It just, it really, it really bummed me out. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird thing. And none of it would have happened if you were playing Chicago or, or Brooklyn yeah. or, or Cleveland or anyone else. Like, it would it, it only came up because you're playing in toronto and it's like well all of a sudden he's not going to be available for potentially three games like yeah uh, like that's so. out of Embiid's control Embiid did everything humanly possible for this team yeah yeah and, and and the crazy part is too like especially with the the amount of parity in the the eastern conference i mean the the sixers are the are the four, four seed. seed they're two games out of first place at the end of the year here yeah right wild. think about um, that one or two games different yeah. And this isn't even a conversation. Yeah. And there's probably some other player on some other team that's not going to be there. And this is I, after the first three games with with Harden and B playing together. That was like, uh oh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure they've got their ticket punch to the finals. Yeah. Um, and so, so for something like that to happen, especially for such a critical role player, um, yeah, man, that's tough. That's tough. And then you know to gain back the trust, you know, like. Uh, in the locker room is, is is a different story entirely. I mean, knowing Embiid, it's going to be like every, we'll deal with this later. Just everybody get back on the freaking floor after we get through this first series and, and play basketball like we know how to play basketball, and then we'll deal with this later. Like Embiid, all of the shit Embiid's had to deal with this year, how well he's handled it all, the class in which he's done it, and then to go out there and perform at an MVP level. I. Yeah. And then this is the kind of shit that he's getting rewarded for in the end. It's like, I don't know what kind of deal with the devil and bead made where now this is what his karma is like, or what happened to him in a previous life that he's paying for now, but it just, it sucks, man. And bead deserves to be around a team. And, and doc rivers has really shit the bed as a coach, which is why I would be in favor of if he wants the Lakers job deuces, dude, see ya. You know, I'll, I will take Quinn Snyder. Like, I would love Quinn Snyder. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, you know, I don't, need, I don't, I don't need doc. And I think Daryl Morey's infatuation with James Harden means we're going to pay him that ridiculous extension. That's going to keep him around for another three years. And he's going to get paid $67 million in the third year of that contract. And I don't see how this team is going to get any better. And the fact that like Thibel, who is just that he's, He's a little Clay Thompson-esque in just that, like, everybody loves him. Like, universally high <laughs> approval rating. And You're on top four. of it, yeah. he's such an amazing – I've said it – he's, like, reminds me of, like, Ed Reed, the way he, like, plays – he's, like, a free safety. You know, the way he jumps routes, oh, the way he tails guys <laughs> from behind. And now he's not going to be on the floor in the playoffs because he just got one of two doses. Yeah. 
That's weird, man. It's just, it's bullshit. And, it's and also, all the people out there are being like, keep that same energy that you had when you were shitting on Kyrie. I will. If yeah. anything, Kyrie, I think, was just dumb. I think his whole argument for his justification for it was all dumb. I think yeah. what Thibel did is arguably stupider. Yeah. To the point that and- Stephen A said that this morning on Get Up. He's like, this is, he's like, I'm not calling him dumb. But this is one of the dumbest things I've ever seen a professional athlete yeah, kind of. It's go irresponsible. And it's irresponsible for sure. And again, like it wouldn't have come up if you were playing anybody in the continental United States uh, in, in the first round. Um, but you know, I mean, I'm, it, you're really going to hear it if you're down two to one going into to game four on the road in Toronto, where it's like a must win, and you're like. Shit, we don't have our best defender. <laughs> this is all the. This is all. Yeah, imagine if you drop one of the games in Philly. Yeah, if you go one and one in Philly, and now you got to go two two Toronto. It's. It, I'm. I'm not looking for this. Has to all just be karma from the process. Still, that's the only thing I can. That's think it. Of. That's the all. Basketball gods are just spiting the Sixers, and and this is all just karma from the process. I, otherwise, I don't have an explanation for why. <laughs> Embiid is getting such a raw end of the deal time after time. I just I feel for the fucking guy, man. He's yeah. been amazing. And he's yeah. probably not going to get the MVP this year, even though no. he would probably have my vote. But, you know, neither here nor there. Uh, yeah. Last NBA thing I want to talk about here, uh, kind of along these same lines in terms of in and out of lineups and how it's going to be. There have been some rumblings about Ben Simmons making his debut for the Nets in the playoffs. And – I'm just going to say right now, if he does, and this whole – I mean, already it's absurd that he's trying to get the compensation back that he lost from the Sixers. His argument was already bullshit. But if we want to talk about all the people who were out there when Ben Simmons got traded and were grandstanding about, you know, Philly fans were being really hard on, on Simmons and, and didn't take his mental health seriously and didn't support him, all that stuff, which is just factually incorrect. Philly fans supported Ben Simmons – for years and he never did anything about it and then he used the mental health stuff as an excuse and now is trying to use that as a justification to get his money back if all of that happens and then you're going to make that dude whose last time he played professional basketball was choking and getting dumped on for choking in a playoff series and you're going to play him in a playoff series spare me with this caring about mental health shit spare mm-hmm. me on this oh good for the nets they care about his mental health. All of that is fucking bullshit. Well, yeah, and it's that one that you know ruins it for the rest of every all the progress that's been made on that front. You exactly know, uh, of caring about mental health. It's the one that's like, uh, well, we could say they care about it and seem like we're being socially responsible, um, but he didn't care about it. So <laughs> I, to to put it frank, like. I hope he doesn't play as a fan, as someone who rooted for the guy, I have a Ben Simmons Jersey in my closet. As we speak as a guy who, who, who rooted for him for years, I do kind of want to see him succeed still. I hope as a human being, he doesn't play because it seems like a terrible idea because let's say he did struggle with all of his mental health and everything. You're now saying that you blatantly don't care about that stuff. If this is the time you're going to bring yeah. it back in. Yeah. And if he's perfectly willing to come in and, oh, no, mental health's not a problem. Remember, it's just been the back issue. If th- if that's the case, then we know that the whole thing was bullshit. Because anyone somebody who, was lying. Yeah. Because <laughs> if someone was actually struggling with mental health due to a, a, a traumatic experience coming short in a playoff series, all that stuff, 
immediately introducing them into that situation in that environment for the first time is irresponsible. It's irresponsible. (laughs) And it's a spit in the face of people who actually do struggle with mental health. Yeah. And, and and I think that would be a really, really bad idea. And, And I hope, I hope for Ben Simmons sake that he doesn't play genuinely. Yeah. Also from a basketball perspective, you're just going to fuck yourself up, dude. Like uh, well, Ben that, Simmons isn't the, helping you at all. The chemistry that, I mean, he has been on the floor with that team all year. So you're going to throw him in now for- in, in a playoff series. Like what kind of, are you kidding? It's crazy. Just to say that you have the talent on the team, you're going to put like prove to the, the, the opponent that you're playing that on paper, you have a really good team with KD and Kyrie and, and yeah. Ben Simmons. Like get yeah. out of here. With and that. you don't think, That's you enough. don't, you don't think guys would chirp at him too. You don't think guys would give oh, 100%. him shit, right? Like a hundred percent. That would be the first would. The first line of defense would be trying to get into his head. Yeah. And I think he would. Because you know he can't shoot. Yeah. He would fold it quick as shit. And he'd probably have one fast break dunk and flex on everybody. And we'd be like, oh, shit, he's bad. And then he'll come up short. Miss the free throw. (laughs) Now, in his defense, he won't have to touch the ball in the the ending of a game, right? Kyrie, KD, they're going to be the ones handling the ball. So he's not going to get asked to shoot or asked to do anything at the end of the game. They're just going to ask him to play really good defense. But there's no conditioning. He hasn't played NBA basketball in almost a year. It, it makes no sense. It makes no sense on a lot of different levels. And I really hope the Nets don't bring him back because I don't think it helps them as a basketball team. I, I, I don't think it helps their image, you know, handling this Ben Simmons trade and everything else. And I don't think it helps Ben Simmons. Yeah. So who are you helping? How is this a good move in any way, shape, or form other than the slight chance that he comes back and just gives you 25 minutes off the bench, plays really good defense, and, you know, it's great. But if he does have a back issue, too, then, like, what are we talking about? Just let the guy get healthy, you know? Well, the only thing I can think of is that that if he's on the floor, all the Kyrie stuff goes away, and then nothing becomes his problem if they lose a series. It's not Kyrie's fault. Hmm. Anything he did before, forget it. It wouldn't have been Kyrie's. At least to Kyrie, it wouldn't have been Kyrie's fault. Well, yeah, but... (laughs) Yeah, there, the one no. argument I could make for it is that the longer he goes without playing in an NBA game again, the harder that return is going to be. So yep. I do at least get it from that perspective, right? The, the longer you do that, the more difficult it's going to be to assimilate him back in and everything. I just I still don't see how that's a good idea. Um, all right. Uh, one more break. Actually, no, before we do that, uh, picks for Tuesday night and Wednesday night, uh, who ends up being the seven and eighth seeds? in the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference? Uh, I'll start with the East. I think the Nets probably end up as the seventh seed. Uh, just They've been playing really good basketball at the, at the tail end of the year here, especially with Kyrie back in full force. So I think they're the seventh seed. It gets really complicated. I think Atlanta and Cleveland are so similar. Um, mm-hmm. They both can score. They both can distribute the ball really well. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give the edge to Atlanta just because they've been there last year. Um, and Cleveland's still really, really young, really talented, but I think they're they're the inexperience is what's going to be their their demise, even in a one game plan uh, where anything could happen. So I'll, I'll take Brooklyn as the seven, Atlanta as the eight out of the East. Uh, I like Brooklyn as well. I was tempted to take Cleveland to win. They're just banged up with no Mobley. Jared Allen's been in and out. I, I just I don't think they have enough to beat Brooklyn because I just feel Katie's going to step in and just take the game over, and, and there's not going to be an answer hey. for him. In um, Cleveland's not terribly deep either. <laughs> no, but Kevin Love did drop 32 points in like 14 minutes the vintage. other night, which yeah. was sick. 
So who knows? Maybe Kate, maybe Kevin Love just goes off. There's no one who can guard Kevin Love on that Brooklyn team. Um, so I'm going to take Brooklyn, but then I think Cleveland gets it done. I, I don't like Atlanta at all. Um, completely one-dimensional. Gallinari has hit a super steep drop-off this year. Uh, John Collins out for the rest of the year, injury-wise. Trey team, Young's banged up, too. Um, yeah, I, I don't like them. And Gordon Hayward's not playing for Charlotte, so unless LaMelo Ball – you know, has one of those like kind of like what Memphis was last year, which like they knock off Golden State. They find their way in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, John Morant knocked off Golden State. That's what I said. Be clear. Yeah. <laughs> no, Dylan Brooks played pretty damn good in that game. Yeah, too. that's true. <laughs> All right. Let's not let's 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 take it easy. That team played really Dylan Brooks, if I recall, hit like six threes in that game. He was ridiculous. Um, but no, I, I think it's going to be Brooklyn as the seventh seed and Cleveland as the eighth seed. Uh, and then the Western Conference. I love Minnesota. Um, cat yeah. has been awesome this team. year. I think cat yeah. should be third team, all NBA, no offense to Rudy Gobert. I think Carl Anthony towns deserves it. And after everything he's gone through over the last couple of years, seeing him flourish makes me really happy. I love Anthony Edwards. That dude just takes a soul. Like every fifth night, he just dunks on somebody and ends it. And then you still have D'Angelo Russell who like him, hate him, whatever. Yeah. He might be a heat check guy. He's, he's still there. So I like Minnesota. And then I'm going to take the Clippers as the eight seed. So I have Minnesota as the seven. I have the Clippers end up winning at the uh, Yeah, Clippers the are playing well, game. too. Uh, you know, it's hard Paul to Paul George Paul, back. But yeah, Paul George is back. I'm going to take San Antonio because of Pop. I'll do yeah, it. Yeah, Pop, Pop's last season. Most this is, Pop, uh, assuming it's Pop's last season. Yeah, I think people yeah. think it might be. I think, uh, I think, I don't know, any of those three, it's just like, uh, <laughs> You roll the dice and pick one because uh, I don't think that they're particularly good basketball teams, but um, it's San Antonio. What the hell? Yeah. Minnesota's Paul, the seven, Paul George San Antonio is, at the eight. Paul George is the best player left in that group. And and I think since he's been back, they've, they've, they've played pretty yeah, good. I love DeJounte so. Murray though. With, uh, with uh, DeJounte, yeah, DeJounte Murray's awesome. I, I do like that San Antonio team. And it'd be cool to see pop in the playoffs one more time. Yeah. Be. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, quick break. Come back. We will talk a little bit MLB opening weekend and uh, we'll get you on your way to the rest of your week. MLB opening weekend was this weekend. What a weekend for dads everywhere. The Masters and MLB opening day. I uh, don't think those two have coincided all that often, but with the delayed start of the season, we had that this year. So it was fun. A um, lot of interesting stuff. It feels like there's one team that everybody knows is fucking amazing. And then there's a couple other really good teams that kind of are sprinkled out a bunch. It feels really competitive this year. Uh, we're getting an additional playoff team in, in each bracket or in each division, which is awesome. We also have the shift rule in place. We also have the uh, DH and uh, the NL. The DH. Thank you. That was the other one I was trying to think of. Um, so I think we're going to see a lot of really cool, fun, interesting baseball this year. And I'm actually excited to kind of sit down. I'll do what I always do, which is watch for a couple of weeks. And then I'll kind of move on and get the and summer and then come back in September the and... NBA and the draft <laughs> and all that stuff's over. And we get around like football, but then it'll be training camp. And then I'm going to be and this movie football season. And then all of a sudden yeah. the wild card weekend will be, I'm like, all right, well shit. Now I got to watch the wild card game. August, what happened to August is your next check-in and you're like, okay, uh, all right. Now that we're almost done. Uh, well, no, no, sorry. The home run derby. We do have the home run derby always pops all star week, yeah. weekend. So I check in there, get caught up. And then, uh, yeah, that, don't pay attention to it again until like uh, early to mid September now, but then we're going to have, you know, like NBA free agency and all that, you know, there's just going to be a lot going on. So eventually NBA. the NBA free agency, dude, NBA free agency is the best. Um, 
it's insane but i i love the nba free agents i've never heard of the nba is that another baseball league yes it's another baseball (laughs) league yep um so the team i was talking about was the dodgers who Uh. tough opening weekend for them they they end up losing two of three um but you look at padres I believe so. Yeah. yeah. Um, the Padres well, are going to be Padres. Padres, yeah, another team that's going to be really good. Yeah, come back in June when they're, they're under 500. With the Rockies could be team. okay with Chris Bryant there now, but you know, they still traded the best division in Arnado, So um, I don't know, man, there, there'll be some other interesting contenders, but I think you're probably right. Uh, obviously the addition of Freddie Freeman is just huge for the Dodgers. Like if you're taking the MVP kind of guy, guy just wins the world series. Now we just they cut it off MVP. in the break. He's one of four MVPs on that roster right now. Unbelievable. Uh, and so, then you go into labor talks this whole offseason and talk about competitive balance being important. Get out of here, Manfred. What a joke. Well, honestly, I put that on Freddie Freeman as much as anybody. I, I, I mean, I because hey, I guarantee you there was a team out there that gave him better offer. I gave him better money. Um, but he also, look, he did his part in Atlanta, and he was ready to leave. And supposedly there was some kind of bad blood there in yeah, that, there in that um locker room acuna said he uh they wouldn't be missing him basically it was a uh, kind of a good ridden sentiment um what team are you most excited about to sit down and get a chance to watch some of their games this year because i know my team um i'm gonna i i think toronto uh yeah. genuinely great yeah pick. uh because again I, we were we were talking about uh some contenders in the break and i think the al east is probably one of the better uh, top to bottom divisions in baseball, but uh, Toronto has a lot of good young talent. They did a lot in the off season. They got Kevin Gossman from the giants to, to shore up the, uh, the starting rotation. They made a couple other moves. They've got good young talent in, in Vladimir Guerrero jr. And Kevin Biggio and, and Bichette, uh, which is amazing. Cause I watched all three of their fathers play. Uh, so I that's, love Bo uh, yeah, Bichette. Um, it might be one of my like top three favorite players in baseball. Yeah. Oh, he's he's unbelievable. Just the, but the swag. Guy, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Like the home run he hit in opening weekend. I don't know what day it was, but holy crap, dude! Like yeah. we're talking about like upper deck in left center field, yeah. like an absolute piss missile. The dude rakes, and, and he's the cool thing is he's not just a home run machine, right? Like no. he can spray the ball too if he really wanted to. Um, he would if th- he played in the NL last year. He would have been the MVP. The only reason he didn't so. win it was because Otani was, yeah. was so ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that's a, a team that A, can make some noise. Uh, B, is is a legit playoff contender. Uh, probably, uh, I'd, they might even be the third of the three teams in that division that makes the playoffs. Um, but again, they're young, and, and they're, they've got this chemistry that they've built up because they all came up together, and now they're the, uh, the front office has done a good job of plugging the holes that they need to plug to, to make them a, a legitimate team. Um, and, and I think this is a team where we get to, to July and the trade deadline where they're like, uh, well, we're one bullpen guy away from, you know, like actually making a, a decent. Well, so is half, so. half of baseball is well, always okay. one bullpen guy <laughs> away. Right. Right. Um, but no, I, I, I like what they've done over the last two, three years. And, uh, and I think that that we'll see some of the fruits of that uh, this season. It's cool to see a team built up, like you were saying, guys who kind of grew up together and are still on the younger side but have a couple seasons under their belt. But also we're all, like, born and raised in that environment. Like, I don't care what anybody says. Prince Fielder benefited from his dad being Cecil Fielder, right? Steph Curry 100% benefited from his dad being uh, Del Curry. Like, when you grow up around it and and 
being on an NBA basketball court or being in a major league baseball park and taking BP or, or shagging fly balls. Like that is such a deep rooted subconscious thing that like, it's so unfazing to them. And now it's just like, this is my turn. I grew up watching my dad do this. Now I get to do this right at a high level too. And not a, just yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, two hall of famers, Vlad and Biggio, right? I mean, Craig Biggio is a hall of famer and Vlad's a hall of famer. Yep. So yeah, you got two guys in Cooperstown and they're, uh, yeah. So we're not, we're not talking about just like, Oh, my dad spent, you know, had a cup of coffee yeah. in the major leagues. So he was a lifetime in triple A. No, we're talking about like well-established guys who grow up and spend a ton of time in and around major league ballparks. And I think, I think that goes a long way. Uh, I'm with you. The AL East is really interesting. The Yankees are just continually interesting, but I don't think they're that great of a team this year. Right. They definitely had a underwhelming off season, uh, at least to Yankee fan standards. I love watching Yankees fans be miserable. It makes me really, really happy. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, I mean, um, they kept the guys they needed to when they, their acquisitions. They kept Gallo and uh, and Rizzo. Yeah, uh, and, and honestly, I think there's a case that New York and Boston are the third and fourth best teams in their own division. Which when's the last time we said that? That <laughs> yeah. neither one of those two. And now Boston, we went into last year thinking Boston was going to be like rebuilding, right? Last year, and instead. They got really hot and were one of the best teams in baseball wow. through the majority of the regular season and, and we, then ultimately fell short by the end of the year. But we said the same thing about the Giants, though, all year, too. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it was yeah. the same thing. Um, Tough division, rebuilding. Yeah, rebuilding. And yet <laughs> they kind of go on this, they kind of go on this yeah. run. I think for Boston and probably for San Francisco as well, we're probably looking at like they probably overachieved given what their roster did a year ago. Mm. Um I'm for your sake. I hope that's not the case, but also you've had three world series titles in the last decade. So I, I really don't care if your team wins or loses uh, more um, than a decade. Now we've, we've eclipsed that. Oh, sorry. Three <laughs> in 11 years. My bad. Um, or t- 12 years, 12. whatever it is. It's yeah. yeah it's not even 12. Cause it's the beginning of 2022. So no, you don't get it's 11 and, and some change. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I really do. Um, I, I like where we're, we're kind of sitting right now in the AL East, having a team like Tampa Bay, who's done this money ball style, piecing teams together, super analytical ball. We're in the world series just a couple of years ago. Um, and, and they're still, I mean, they swept, I think they played Baltimore opening weekend, but they swept their opening series and they'll be good. And then Toronto is a very fun young team who I, I think is going to do a lot of stuff. Uh, I'm excited about Chicago, the white Sox again. Um, they're like the only team that division that I feel like, I know Detroit got hobby Baez. It feels like this was an offseason where super there was yeah we had Freddie Freeman join the Dodgers, but like Correa going to Minnesota right and then um, Halvey Baez going to Detroit and Chris Bryant going to Colorado and all these guys who like aren't on good teams but just are getting the big payday. I'm assuming they're all Scott Boris guys because that's the you know what Scott Boris does. Uh, the Astros annoyingly enough are going to be really good again. You know, I know everything's tainted for them and understandably so, but Bregman's still a stud and Jose Altuve is still a stud. And they still have Verlander on that rotation who's still pitching at an elite level. Unbelievable. Um, <laughs> what he and Scherzer have done over the last you know, five years where most pitchers would be dem, and the fact that they're still out there. Is Their like, arms attached the way they throw the ball. I don't know. <laughs> it, now, I will say the 50-game season probably helped prolong that and COVID probably helped prolong some of that, but – I would imagine either one of them has that much time left. And yet Scherzer went out in his first start and was fucking dominant for the Mets. So, you know, who's to say, and that's, 
brings me to what I think is probably the most interesting division in, in baseball, maybe not the best, but maybe the most interesting, which is the NL East, which for years it was this way, right? When David Wright and Jose Reyes and Carlos Delgado and Carlos Beltran were all on those Mets teams and Johan Santana, they were that rivalry Angel between <laughs> the, that rivalry between them and the Phillies was awesome, right? Because it was that Chase Utley, Jimmy Rollins, Ryan Howard, you know, that 2008, 2007 range when you had Jimmy win the MVP and then the next year you had Ryan Howard win the MVP and Chase is just the, you know, consistent God, all-star. Victor, uh, Shane Victorino, right, playing center the field. Hawaiian. Pat Burrell just hit oh, yeah, Pat the bat. and Tater. I feel like we're going to have a renewed Mets and Phillies rivalry. And they actually play, they start a series tonight. Uh, we're recording Monday night. They're about to kick off here in about 30 minutes. Uh, I'm really excited. I'm as excited for this Philly season as I've been in a decade. And that's not an exaggeration. Uh, Kyle Schwarber hitting a leadoff home run to start off the season. What an awesome signing that was. He's going to hit so many home runs. I said this on Twitter when they signed him. The best swing that a Phillies player ha- has had since Matt Stairs. Do you remember Matt Stairs? Matt Stairs. I watched him in Oakland. Dude, Matt uh, Stairs had deep. He hit a like a two or three run so home pure. run against the Dodgers <laughs> the year they won the World Series. And it's my favorite swing of all time. And Schwarber's got one of those pimp daddy just hitting fucking bombs, mashing taters. Uh, and this team is just full of a bunch of dudes who just want to go up and smash the ball, right? Well, you, you, and yeah, you, and you don't Schwarber, have to ask Schwarber to do that much. No, you get Schwarber leading off, and you have Hoskins second. You have Harper third, Castellanos four, who also hit his first home run as a Philly. And then you have JT Ralmuto hitting five. That is deadly. And then you have Gene Segura, who's had 25-plus home runs, be, right? Your top five could be 100 home runs, easy. Easily. It, I, it would be a disappointment if it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> I would say the top five should be more like 120 home runs. <laughs> like all of those dudes are capable of hitting 30-plus home runs. Um, and, and then you're going to throw in, you know, after that, Gene Segura can still hit. Didi can still hit, depending on how healthy he is. Uh, and then there's a couple other young guys, right? Uh, if um, the dude, the the third baseman whose name is escaping me right now, Boom, Boom. If Alec Boom has a big bounce back, you know he was awesome as a rookie, slumped last year. And then they also have uh, Stotts, I believe his name is, who is um, Bryson. It's I think it's Bryson Stotts, uh, but he's a young a young player coming up through the system, rookie making his debut. Who is getting very, very high praise. They have two studs at the top of the rotation, Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola, zero bullpen still. I know they went out and signed a couple of like mediocre guys that will help the arms, which I think so. I think they will be an upgrade. But last year they had one of the worst bullpens in the history of baseball. So it's kind of easy to upgrade off of that. I think the Phillies could be a, you know, a 90 plus win team. And I think I would expect them right now. My expectations are them for them to make the playoffs, but it's just a fun team to root for. Harper, Schwarber, Castellanos, JT, and and Hoskins has already looked good. Like, I'm just really excited for Phillies baseball. And it's – as a guy who grew up playing baseball and my first championship I ever had in my life was the 08 Phillies, I'm just really, really excited. And I like that feeling. I like being excited yeah. about baseball. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I think, uh, you know, for a lot of us – uh, even some of those who are, are more religious about watching baseball than others are paying attention to baseball at least. And I don't know if it was because I was so busy this weekend or what, but I, it, it was just kind of like the whole off season with the, with the lockout 
Um, and it was just like, oh, free agency's here. And then like, oh, spring training's here. And then spring training's over like 10 days later. And you're like, it was all so oh, crap. It's, yeah, it was so so it's opening day. Like what? <laughs> yeah. Normally like spring training from the time pitchers and catchers report to opening yeah, day feels like yeah. months. Like it, it literally, cause it's usually like the end of February, beginning of March. And then, yeah, it's usually not until like the first or second week of April that, yeah, I guess like, yeah, probably like the, the first weekend in April is usually when opening day is, but. Uh, nonetheless, I'm excited for baseball. Um, the Cardinals look like they could be pretty good again. Uh, but look, I, I don't claim to be the guy who follows a million, you know, follows baseball super in depth anymore. I rely more on you on that because you definitely follow the MLB closer than I do over the summertime. But this year with the Phillies playing well and, and hopefully in contention, I definitely think uh, as I, it's fun to look at something like I'm like, you know what, I'm going to be looking at this more like a fan. I'm going to really be locking in on this as just a fan and just enjoying the ride. So go fightings. Um, go watch I mean, Shohei if you can. I mean, and yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> I think he's better this year than he was last year. We, and <laughs> we've, funny. yeah, well, and there's like, there's literally the head article on ESPN right now under the MLB tab is can Shohei Otani be even better this year? Uh, <laughs> so you're on to something, Scott. Great you're minds. Yeah. Great minds. <laughs> um, that is all we got. Thank you, Scotty, for hopping on. Congrats to Scotty Scheffler amazing amazing weekend the masters it's the best we will see you next year augusta and we cannot wait uh we'll be back on friday i believe next week will be the start of our guests uh i have a couple already kind of lined up we're working on some dates we're gonna get some stuff filled out but we got playoff basketball the nfl draft too i mean (laughs) we are gonna have uh my man chris plank on to talk some nfl draft he's like the biggest draft nut that i know and he does in our mock draft he's amazing thing (laughs) and we are going to do another read option mock draft uh we'll have to maybe we'll do like a random generator to see who gets uh who gets what pick order or something i forget how we did it last year but we'll we'll dig into it thank you all for listening thank you all for watching on youtube uh share rate review like Tell everybody you know. Um, Hit that bell. Get the bell on, folks. Uh, But again, seriously, thank you, everybody. We will talk to you guys on Friday. And as always, take it easy, everybody. Bye.